women are going to take this country by storm. And I think democracy is going to be safer because of it. Welcome to How We Win, the official podcast of The Persistence. 54 days until the most important election of our lives, and we can all make a difference right now. More Republicans are subpoenaed by the Justice Department. The J6 Committee announces another must-see TV hearing. And Lindsey Graham reminds us that he used to be the absolute worst. But with the midterms rapidly approaching, we are going to stay focused and talk strategy, messaging, and yes, polling with Democratic strategist and pollster Cornell Belcher. I'm Steve Pearson, and this is How We Win. Fifty-four days. Oh my gosh, the countdown really is feeling more urgent. Uh, there is a lot of salacious news. There's a lot of exciting news and some great messaging coming from the White House. Uh, just earlier today, as we were recording, uh, a whole bunch of my friends were at the White House for the Inflation Reduction Act event, meaning uh, that I am hanging with the right group of people. But speaking of the right group of people or person, I'm thrilled to have Cornell Belcher here to help break it all down. So without any further ado, let's bring him in and get into conversation with him right now. Cornell Belcher is president of Brilliant Corners Research and Strategies and is one of the premier strategists and pollsters in national progressive politics. He served as a pollster for the Democratic National Committee in multiple presidential campaigns, and Cornell is a political contributor for MSNBC. He's also the author of A Black Man in the White House. Cornell, straight from the Inflation Reduction Act celebrations, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks. Thanks for having me. It's it, it felt good to be on the White House lawn again. I haven't been to the White House in a couple of, in over four years now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What a cool event! And I had a, a few friends who were there too, and um, uh, really great. And I want to talk about the messaging there. Um, but uh, the last time you were with us two years ago, you joined us right after uh, Trump had protesters gassed so he could hold a Bible upside down in front of a church. Uh, we talked a lot about where we are heading as a country, and you pointed out that we are becoming a majority-minority country, uh, and the political power is shifting, but you also pointed out that power concedes nothing, and you wondered about, this is your quote, what's going to happen in America when whites are overwhelmingly outvoted? Well, Two years later, we have some answers for you. <laughs> they lie about election fraud. They've made it harder for black folks, to, black folks to vote. They ban books telling the truth about our history. They rail against wokeness as if that's a bad thing. And of course, they ultimately attempted a violent coup on our nation's capital. That's a lot that's happened since we last spoke. Um, is the continued rise and expansion of our democratic coalition and our electorate enough to push back the rise of fascism in our country, or as Biden would call it, semi-fascism? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I looked up the term fascism, and I don't know why he's using the semi part. Um, it's like being—it's like a, being a little bit racist, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. 
Uh, look, these, 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 I mean, they're, they're people who want to overthrow the government, who think that the majority will of the people should, in fact, should not, in fact, prevail. Um, and and they're awful, and and they're they're nationalists. So I don't know what why we're using the term semi, but also it's the historical context of all this. And it is, I think, we for a long time as Americans thought thought we were exceptional, and I think I think America I think America still is an exceptional country. And but I'll circle back around to that. Uh, although we're we're fighting the things that make us an exception to the to a lot of the what the, the rest of the Western world historically. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, is this ideal that that what we saw take place in Europe, you know, time and time again, uh, we were immune to that. We, had, we were immune to those those nationalistic um, cravings and, and that pull of, of of tribalism. And and clearly and clearly we are not. Um, and so when you look at our politics right now, look, when I wrote my book, uh, several years ago, black man in the white house, talking about the rise of racial aversion and talking backlash to, to Obama and the Obama coalition. And I said, it was a lot of it is, is actually has to do with race, not economics. I was attacked. You would think I, you think I went around smacking people in the mouth. And progressives, the way they were like, no, no, Cornell, it's not race. It's something, you know, fast forward. Now everyone's like, oh, yeah, it's about race. Um, I think I think, by the way, there were a lot of people who really saw in some. Well, let me say this. There were a lot of white people who saw uh, Barack Obama becoming president as the like last like symbolic end of racism in our country. Like we've yeah. finally elected a, elected a black man to president. I think, well, I think, and I think for a lot of white voters, that was a soft place for them to land. And look, it's sort of feel, and feel good about sort of themselves and sort of ourselves and us, and us as a country. Also understanding though, when you get look at the math, uh, that same 43, 42% of, of the white vote that, that, that John Kerry got, uh, Barack Obama didn't do any better. Mm-hmm. Right. So, and, and so understand, you know, John Kerry got what 43% of the white vote and lost Barack Obama got 43% of the white vote and won and, and, and a, and a majority, uh, and so it speaks to that. It speaks to the shift of power, right? So, and what was the difference between Obama and Kerry? Uh, several million brown people. Mm-hmm. And so it speaks to that shift of power, that unease shift of power. And and what what I would argue we're still dealing with in our politics today is the backlash to that. Um, all of a sudden, the, the 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 way the vast majority of 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 white America votes and does not necessarily determine the direction of, of the country. We are in fact becoming a multi sort of racial coalition that you, that, that you have to in fact build. And what I say is define our politics today. And I think it's going to define our politics for the next decade is this, uh, is this conflict between, uh, those who are uncomfortable with a multiracial democracy 
right. and feel as though they're losing something in a multi-directional democracy. And the majority who white, black, brown, yellow, who are part of this um, multi-racial uh, democracy coalition uh, that's that, that's a part of America. It, and, and again, we are we're, we are on the precipice of doing something that perhaps no other industrialized Western nation has done. And that is going from majority minority and those growing, growing, growing till that minority is in fact majority. Right. And having white voters go from being the majority to increasingly the minority. And of course, me and our historians would say, of course, there's going to be a backlash to that. And how we navigate that backlash is going to determine whether we remain a democracy or we become uh, an authoritarian uh, authoritarian nation. And I will tell you right now, um, it's a jump ball. <laughs> yeah. I'm laughing. We're both like laughing as we say this really Nervously. horrific scenario that is, yeah, you're right. It's a jump ball. Well, so uh, we're, we're focused on the midterms. We're uh, less than two months in now. Um, another thing that you talked about uh, last time you were speaking with us uh, was about how Obama and his campaign gave people something to vote for instead of voting against. Coming into these midterms, at least in my lifetime, I think we have the most compelling argument because we really have both. We have historic legislation and investment of our country from Biden and the Dems. You were just at the Inflation Reduction Act event uh, where that messaging is getting out. And we have MAGA Republicans who are threatening our democracy. Um, and you just outlined the stakes very, very clearly. Um, is is this messaging getting out to people? Is it enough to overcome the loud lies and suppression also from the GOP? Uh, and also part B of that is how can we as citizens, as volunteers, help uh, amplify those messages and deliver those to voters? Well, that's a lot. Uh, <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's why we have a podcast. That's why it's, I, you know, <laughs> we got we got plenty uh, of time. Hope you hope you are uh, at dinner. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, let me say this: If you look, let, let, let's do let's level set for context for for our, for our for folks listening. Um, what happens in midterms going now? Well, what typically happens in midterms? Go to twenty ten. Um, it wasn't like uh, the millions and millions of people who voted for Barack Obama and Democrats in two thousand eight changed their minds and said, "You know what? We screwed up. We were wrong." that was the wrong thing to do. We completely right. changed our minds. We're now going to be Tea Party. <laughs> no. What happens is the ebb and a flow. And if you look at 2010 and you look at 2014 and you look at 2018 uh, versus a presidential on year, uh, you have roughly 41% turnout in, in, a, in a midterm of eligible voters in a, in a midterm, 41, 42% turnout of eligible voters in a midterm. In 2018, we had, I think, 51, 52%. I'm old and I drink a lot, so I'm doing this off the top of my head. Right. Uh, Turnout, which was was approaching a presidential election type year year turnout. So you had, in fact, the engagement of a broader audience. And and when when the audience is broader, what happens? 2018 electorate was younger and browner and better educated and less conservative. 
than the 2014 and 2010 electorate. And it is, and it is what I, I often say is you do have two electorates in America fighting each other for the future of America. And so what was my fear about coming into 2022, being someone who witnessed 2010? Um, and looking at 2010, the Obama coalition, they weren't paying as much attention to the, to the midterms. They didn't think the midterms were that incredibly important. Uh, they didn't think it was uh, issues of great weight uh, that were going to be determined in that midterm election. Go back six or seven months ago, a lot of the signs along the, the roadway to the midterm, mm. uh, I would argue, looked a lot like 2010, where you didn't have enthusiasm and engagement of, of that younger uh, coalition of voters. And look, for better or worse, and this is something that that I have to remind people of, is uh, millennials and Gen Zers now are actually a larger voting block than baby boomers. Mm -hmm. And so much of our politics has been aimed at having conversations and persuading and talking to baby boomers. And hello, no, the richest vein of of the electorate are now millennials and Gen Z, yeah. especially for progressives. I had Santiago Mayer on last week, uh, who's the executive director of Voters of Tomorrow. This, uh, I don't know if you've come across him. He's this incredible 20-year-old who has this great national organization of Gen Z voters. And that got me really fired up about the future. <laughs> yes. Yes. So uh, – so and what happens is 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 you have those that uh, that electorate pull back and not paying attention, and what we've seen over the last couple of months, and it actually started with some of the gun stuff. Yeah, uh, I was on Meet the Press several months ago after after yet another tragic uh, mass shooting, and at some and I go at some point, you know, moms are fed up with this, and look out for the year of the angry woman voter if this keeps right. working. And fast forward to overturning Roe. Yeah. And all of a sudden, it again it is attack on on our on our rights. And it's and for and it is all of a sudden you're gonna tell a woman that she doesn't have she doesn't have, you know, advocacy over her over her body and, and telling these families that they don't. The government the government does. And you see, again, it's not it's not one thing. It is a layering of things. It's a buildup. And then you see uh, threats to democracy now emerging as a top issue concern for Americans, which right, which is amazing. Right. Yeah. And, and so it's democracy have, stupid. Uh, right. Right, is democracy stupid? <laughs> I, no, I don't know. You know, if the election's about gas prices and these small things, uh, you know, Democrats are going to lose. And by the way, America's going to lose. Democracy is going to lose. But if, but if in fact the election is about our freedoms, our rights, and saving our democracy, all those benefit the benefit Democrats. Look, Republicans have no answer on. On, on on abortion. They don't. They have no answer on abortion. They um, do. I, you, I, well, I, I want to say their answer is very, very confusing to me. Um, because as well, then you, it's not an answer. Because <laughs> as, you, as you pointed out, uh, Rovember is coming 
And um, and there's recent uh, reporting, uh, Tom Bonier, a colleague of yours, who's the um, strategist and CEO of Target Smart, just had an essay in the New York Times saying, women are so fired up to vote, I've never seen anything like it. Uh, women are registering to vote at record yep. numbers. The uh, We had the Kansas referendum on abortion, which brought out uh, a huge amount of voters um, in Kansas. And then you've got Lindsey Graham and the GOP Senate who just introduced a, uh, an abortion ban. This is, of course, the party of let's kick it to states' rights that now yeah. is introducing a federal abortion ban. Is he just trying to remind – like lest we forget what is at stake for the midterms? What's, what's Lindsey's plan with this? I mean the Republicans' plan around this it seems terrible. Well, a couple things. One is you do understand that they are actually the party that is outside of the mainstream of America. Yes. Um, once upon a time, the one of the strongest brand pillars of the Republican Party go back, you know, go back 15 years ago. The most strongest brand pillar of the, of the Republican brand was was because I, I, you know, I tested this a lot is the ideal of who represents your values. And Republicans were the party that most Americans saw represent their values. That's increasingly not true anymore. They're outside of the mainstream of main, mm. mainstream America. But th- and this is where this is where I think shows like yours it, it, they do better than what you see that that the 15 seconds of uh, that you get on television because you can break down stuff like this. Right. Uh, Lindsey Graham is crazy like a fox. What, in fact, this abortion ban gives them opportunity to do, look, understand the context. We are now at a time where, and this is being reported in, 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 in the newspapers uh, all the time now, is that Republicans are trying to scrub their history and their websites right. uh, of any sort of uh, anti-choice uh, or pro, you know, um, pro sort of overturn Roe v. Wade. Right. Uh, information right they're scrubbing they're trying to scrub it completely away in this context putting a a, a ban of abortion ban national abortion ban up for a vote and then having republicans vote against it and then saying i'm not for a national abortion ban i voted against that it makes mm. a lot of sense in in, 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 the, in in that way so I wouldn't be surprised. So at you all think if, you think you know, the Republican senators are going to vote against it just to go on record because it wouldn't pass anyway. So it's just a symbolic. It's it's just it's what we call in Washington strategery. Strategery. <laughs> uh, thanks for bringing yeah, Debbie no, back you into will it. See, you will see a lot of uh, Republicans, and and they'll make up their reasons, and so they can have it both ways. And he said, and by the way, it's really interesting that Lindsey Graham said, "I just picked fifteen weeks." So this guy who represents South Carolina, a man is picking for women just a date, an arbitrary, you know, 15 weeks, that it's a, to, which, you know, we can have a whole show on the absurdity of that. But, yeah. so it gives them opportunity to have it both ways because then they can say, oh, I, I, I didn't vote for this uh, on one hand to the more, to the, to the, to the broader marketplace, but then to their constituencies, small sort of under radar screens, like, you know, I, 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 15 weeks, no, we get that. I'm not for that. It's, Got, like, you know, so they get to have it both ways. It is, it is, it is the game of politics that 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 that, that they're playing. But I will say this: 
when you look at Kansas, this is the problem, I think, for Republicans. And I'm not even being partisan. I'm just being, if I, a brand steward. Mm-hmm. This is the problem for Republicans. And it's encapsulated by Kansas. When something um, gets crushed by better than, than what, 60% of the vote in, in, a, in a red state like Kansas, that's not just Democrats. No. Right. Uh, and what you see and what we're seeing in polling data is, even a quarter or more Republican women who are not necessarily pro-choice don't like the ideal of the government telling women when and where they can, they can, they can reproduce. Right. Of course. So, and, and you're seeing this in, in our polling is even non-college and, and look, the biggest divide I think in the election right now is between college and non-college, especially for white voters. Um, you know, non-college white voters, are, you know, Breaking Republican hugely by you know mm-hmm. 10, 15, 20 points. You saw what they how they broke for Trump, um, and we saw something in twenty eighteen and twenty twenty that we hadn't seen before. Look, as 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 brilliant as um, Obama was, we weren't winning college white voters. Right, um, college white voters are beginning to shift, particularly college white women. And and that the margin is beginning to open up. So you look at the suburbs and all of a sudden you remember go back ten a decade ago, a lot of these suburban uh, districts, these these rings around these urban centers, they were light red to 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 if not red. And today they are light blue because and look at the, the, the latest polling is out now, even in the public polling, you have suburban women moving and breaking against the Republicans. Um, so one of the things, and I'm getting in the weeds, but your but your people who listen to your podcast yeah. are smart. I'm getting in the weeds. They're very, very, very smart. If you go back to 2010, <laughs> Democrats won women by a point. Basically, it was a toss-up. 2014, I think uh, three points. So the, out of the last two uh, midterm elections, the women's vote basically been a toss-up. Out of the last two of the last three midterm elections, mm-hmm. been a toss up. Uh, it was plus, it was better than like plus eight, plus nine, I think even more in 2018. Um, actually it may have been double digits in 2018. And, mm-hmm. and of course, 2020, you know, carry, carry women hugely. So do you think that women are going to be plus two or three or four in this electorate? Or do you think they're going to be plus 10, 15 for Democrats, um, unlike they were in 2010 and 2014. I got to think that they, that that the gender gap is going to be huge and women are going to break hard for Democrats. So I have a hard time seeing that. So absolutely, it's not going to be a Republican wave year. The question becomes, with all the structural advantages, at least, in, at least on the House side, all the structural advantages that Republicans have, mm-hmm. Uh, we won't see a wave election, but they still could have a good election. Yeah, it is enough to take back the house. That becomes that becomes the question. And that is that is the question. That's kind of exactly the next question I wanted to ask you too. Um, but I want to preface it uh, because uh, you were on Chris Hayes' show last night um, talking about polling, and I really 
appreciated your pushback on the way that the media covers polls. It, you made a very important point on that show because the media loves covering the horse race, of course. And in, in our close races, we'll say that someone is leading in the polls when they're up a few percentage points. But the truth is that's within the margin of error. That's a that's a toss-up. No one is actually leading. And, and you really pointed that out. And Recent polls, as you said, have been cutting in the Democrats' direction lately. But uh, what are, what are they telling you right now? Because I'm looking, I'm looking at this as like I'm, I'm optimistic. I know we can do it. I don't look at historical precedent because we are in unprecedented times. Everything you just said in terms of row rage, and uh, I see the activist community, volunteers who really woke up and started getting back out there campaigning after uh, Roe was overturned, but. You know, I think it's going to come down to a couple of seats. What What's the polling telling you right now? Well, let, let, let me dive in. Thank you for that. Let me dive in. And again, I love this because we're, we, you know, we're really getting <laughs> to the weeds in ways that we, that I never get the opportunity to get. Do you need a, do you need a second to call your family and tell them that you're going to be late or. <laughs> the, uh, here's the problem is. We, we are using polling in a way that polling was never intended to be used, at least the media. Polls were never created to give us a horse race. Right. That's not what, why polls were, were actually created. And we are fixated now on a horse race. And it's and the, and, the, and, the, and the most volatile number in any poll is, in fact, that a horse race. Now, Cornell, why is that number so volatile? A couple different reasons. One is... We are literally spending hundreds of millions of dollars to move that horse race, right? Back yeah. and forth. Yeah. It's not static. And the other piece about this is look, and I've said this before, is you know, I picked up a newspaper, one of the prominent newspapers uh, a month out from the last election, and it said um, Biden uh, ahead in Florida. And there's not a lot of context with it. I think it was like Biden 48, Trump like 46 or something. There's not a lot of context. So the average voter goes, oh, well, Biden's doing well in Florida. Biden's going to win Florida. And then when Biden doesn't win Florida, they all oh, the polls were wrong. I'm like, it, 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 the polls aren't wrong. I was, also, I was also really sad because that East Coast Florida loss hit hard. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we should do a whole show on Florida because the Let's put that aside because Florida is fascinating. All because talk about two electorates battling for the future of Florida, while Florida is also increasingly a very, very diverse state. Old Americans love moving to Florida. So mm. you have older Americans. And, and if you look at that Gilliam race, one of the things that was interesting there is that we didn't see in the polling data is that that electorate. And got a, it grew a lot older than it had been the previous the, the previous cycle. Wow! And that was and right. So and but and guess what? Florida is continually to grow older, but it's also growing more diverse. But anyway, we get into Florida weeds. Yeah, <laughs> we could have a whole we could do a whole segment on, on Florida. I'll chase um, you down for that. See, watch what you ask for. <laughs> but this ideal, and even in we're now using polling data to drive fundraising. And I've been a part of that conversation where, oh, look, this race is close. Send money 
send money to such and such candidate because his race is, is so close. Great point. And so we're using and we're driving a narrative around polling that it was never intended to be. And look, the horse race is not a static thing because we're literally spending hundreds of millions of dollars moving. And two, um, the horse races is a product of what a reflection of what the electorate is going to be. And, the, and it's so volatile that we don't ask. Listen, if if you told me, if you looked at the last couple of midterm elections and said that that we'd have the surge of young people in 2018 and the surge of people of color, I mean, I think almost a third of, of African-Americans who voted in 2018 or more hadn't voted in a midterm before. So what's a likely voter? Mm. Um, and, and so is that sort of volatility. So polling so it's almost becomes as much of an art as it is a science, right? You can get the science right, but that doesn't mean you're a good pollster. You also have to get the art of it right. Um, and that is trying to gauge what the sort of how this volatility is going to break back and forth. When polling is really, when polling is really off on the horse race, it's because we are, we are guessing the, the electorate is going to be what the electorate is not. And I'll give you a real world example of that. In 2012, uh, a lot of my friends who worked for the, the, the Romney campaign, I actually did have friends uh, work for the Romney campaign. Colleagues. Let's call them colleagues. 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 <laughs> uh, Worked for the Romney campaign, and they really didn't think that uh, Mitt Romney's going to win. And we saw them going, you know, Mitt Romney's going into Pennsylvania hard, and we're like, what the hell? And I go on television the day before the election, and the Republicans on that are, are, are going, he's absolutely not going to win. And, and, you know, he's not doing as well as independent voters, and he's not doing as well as this, that voter, that voter. And I'm scratching my head. And I'm thinking, I don't know what world you all are living in because you're not seeing the same world that I'm seeing. And come to find out is they thought that 2008 was a phenomenon, an unrepeatable phenomenon. Hmm. Like, look, Cornell, you all, in, you, the energy in 2008 was amazing. And you turned out, you know, young people and people of color in ways that, we hadn't seen before. Their assumption was that the 2012 electorate was going to look more like the John Kerry electorate than the 2008 electorate. And so their world vision, sort of what they were basing that off of, was flawed because they thought it was going to, it was going to go back to where it had been previously. And we knew, no, yes, the young people and people of color weren't as excited in 2012 as they were in 2008, but I understood they were just as determined in 2012 as they were in 2008, and that's why their polling, that's why their polling, their polling was off there. So there are a lot of different variables, but one of the things that you pay attention to is 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 the trend. And to your earlier point, when I look at the horse race now. Depending, regardless of who's polling, it's, all of it seems to line up in a, in a way that shows, you know, several months ago, Republicans' generic horse race, they were up eight, nine points. 
that's almost flipped where we're now Democrats, depending on, on, on polling, but on average are up three or four points in, in the generic. Mm-hmm. That's what you pay attention to, because that is capturing something that's happening. OK. And I know I apologize. I know we I got no weeds there. I love it. No, it's fascinating. And the only thing I was going to say is it sounds like um, I, I – I know that we are at a time probably greater than any other, at least in my lifetime, when we are all guilty of, of confirmation bias. And, yes. uh, and that, that certainly must uh, fall into the world of statistics, data, and polling as well um, when we're seeking out answers that we want to find. Um, it's easy to interpret the same data in different ways. But anyway, uh, I digress. Uh, I, I want to just say quickly on on your Twitter Twitter feed, uh, you wrote the Georgia governor race is a toss up. It's going to be close again. The X factor is Abrams' ability to change the typical turnout dynamics of an off year in the state. Uh, somehow, Reverend Warnock and Herschel Walker are in a dead heat as well. <laughs> which is insane. Um, but uh, to your point about uh, black voters showing up, we saw Georgia Democrats, especially Democrats of color in Georgia, showing up in a huge way in 2020. And then again, in the January special election that gave us the tenuous control over the Senate that we now have, will they do it again? That's a good question. And, and what it is, what I'd say is it is the job of the Abrams campaign and the Warnock campaign to make sure that they do and to treat those voters not like just GOTV targets, but but persuadable voters. And what I mean by that is they've got to be giving them uh, a rationale for, for turning out and voting. And look, you know, getting young people and, 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 and especially, you, you know, younger people who don't who are not connecting to typical mainstream platforms for political information. Which is, which is all young people right at this right, point. <laughs> right. Uh, being able to reach them and drive a message with them consistently is, is, is hard work and is different work than, 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 a, than typical campaigning. But you also, I think in Warnock and, and then, and Stacey Abrams, you have candidates and I've heard uh, voters talk about this is they don't see, especially they don't see Stacey Abrams as a typical politician. They see her as something, something different. And I've heard them talk about her. And and I've heard them talk about her in ways, and this seems blaspheme, but I've seen them talk about her being different uh, in ways that I haven't heard them talk about any other candidate than Barack Obama. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think there's an opportunity there to, to expand that electorate and bring in again, come back full circle, what's a likely voter? Um, and I think if you're looking at, at, at Georgia right now and your likely voter models look like what most of the, the off-year elections have looked like in Georgia, I think your polling's probably are wrong. And if you pay attention to, 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 to the enormous number of, of new voters they brought in to the process in Georgia, I think it's hard to predict what that universe is going to look like. However, I assure you that universe is not going to be older and whiter um, mm. 
than uh, than we've seen recently, and an older, wider, older, less diverse, and and and, and conservative. Yeah. And um, and boy, they were motivated. Uh, our, our voters were all motivated. I think they're going to be again, despite the um, we're making it harder, less poll, less polling locations, longer lines, not allowed to drink water, whatever bullshit it is that they're going to have to go through. Um, well, let me say this. At some point, though, if you keep making it harder for people to vote, you are going to get less people vote. Yeah, and that's the. Uh, I, I also tweeted out you know, a while back is that when you saw the state state legislature in Georgia enacting all these draconian measures to keep people from voting, I I said, what they're doing is awaking a sleeping giant. They're awakening a group of of voters who usually sleep through the midterms Mm. and they're helping Democrats awaken them. And I think if you look at Georgia, where they, where voters are, especially if younger voters and voters of color are very clear that these people do not want you to vote and they're trying to take your power away from you. I think that's an X factor uh, that, again, is hard to calculate. Well, that segues really well. Uh, I Every week we give our listeners a to-do list, stuff to do. And, uh, and so uh, one item for our to-do list this week is um, – Related to a news item, the Republican Party uh, says, I'm putting in quotes because I don't know if this is true or not, but they say they've recruited more than 45,000 poll watchers and workers for battleground states across the country for the midterms. Rona McDaniel told Breitbart News that on Thursday. So our to-do list is to sign up to be a poll worker. Uh, we'll have the link in our show notes, but go to eac.gov slash help dash America dash vote. Again, the link will be in our show notes and uh, and you can sign up to be a poll worker. Um you know, poll workers are intimidated. They're under attack. There is all kinds of suppression that we are fighting back against. They are typically older, and uh, and it, it's hard for them to do that that work. So we need more young people to step in and do that work. So that's one uh, to do list item. Uh, the second one, real quick. Uh, you may not know this, Cornell, but we have an awesome fund, the How We Win Fund, that we work with Swing Left on to go to the key races. We've raised almost $44,000 so far, which is awesome. So please keep supporting that fund, sharing it with your friends and family at howwewinfund.com. And howwewinfund.com, is that it? Because I'm going to go and I'm going to make a donation to howwewinfund.com. I love that. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's really great. Uh, you know, we love working with Swing Left and uh, and they have their National Impact Fund, which is what's cool about it is it listens to uh, great experts like yourself and, and figures out where money is going to have this biggest impact. And it changes if people are like, I don't know where to have the biggest bang for my buck and where should I donate? Uh, here's a place where you know you're going to make an impact. So... Um, so thanks, Cornell, for for donating and sharing that. Um, I want to I want to talk about uh, my reason for hope, and then I'm going to ask you for your reason for hope, and then finally let you go home to your family who misses you dearly. I'm sure. Um, no, I, I'm just I'm actually going to meet a client because because it's 24 seven right now. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Go meet a client and talk about targeting. 
<laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Well, yeah, what a long day for you. Thank you for squeezing us in. I'll get you out of here. But um, my reason for hope is uh, from the news this week is the Michigan sh- Supreme Court ruling uh, that the abortion rights measure um, that 750,000 people signed in Michigan to amend the Constitution to protect the right to an abortion must stay on the ballot in November. I'm sorry, I mean in November. Um, And this is really, really significant because as we talked about earlier, we saw in Kansas the incredible turnout for that abortion rights measure and um, stupid, dirty tricksters and that's the kindest description of the republicans who tried to block this by saying there was like bad spacing in the text or some i mean just bullshit the supreme court said no this must go this is the will of the voters this must go on the ballot and so it's significant because uh michigan our listeners may not know you certainly know is really key to holding on to the house there's uh three seats there uh michigan michigan 10 uh carl malinga is running out right there it's a r plus three seat right now Alyssa schlotkin in seven which is an r plus two and dan kildee uh r plus one in michigan eight uh those are pivotal races and an increased turnout will certainly make a difference there not to mention uh, Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson that's going to make all the difference in terms of election integrity, too. So, And the AG, don't forget uh, uh, Nessie. That's right. That's right. Th- these are all really important races. And, and that, to me, I don't know if you agree, but that makes Michigan uh, feel like a much more, uh, it gives me a lot of hope for that very important state coming into the midterms. Um, what's your, you can comment on that or just tell us what's your reason for hope? Well, one, I think Michigan, Michigan is is in fact pivotal, but also sort of what you're pointing out there about what's happening in Michigan is it, it is what gives me hope because, you know, you had the Trump backlash, right? You had the sort of the rise of the Trumpers. Um, but also what you have is the rise of the Trumpers and there's people who are outside the mainstream of America. Uh, and they are absolute threats to democracy. When you look at a state like Michigan and you look at the people that they have running, uh, these Trumpers that they have running at, at all levels in a state like Michigan, um, and ha- ha- the Republican AG candidate in, 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 in Michigan, I think was actually, I think it was actually in D.C. for, for January 6th, was mm-hmm. in, in around these. So, uh, so you have these people who are absolute threats to democracy and not and 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 not pulling punches about um, being threats to democracy. I yeah. think that the Republican in in Pennsylvania is talking about how he would uh, just just you know do away with all the voter registration and do it over again, or or you know just crazy shit. Um, they also make it clear for Americans that this is it's not even partisan. It's not. It's not about left versus right. It's about it's about preserving our democracy and preserving our rights and freedoms, or authoritarianism and division and chaos and danger and violence. Um, you know, it, I think it, it gives a fairly clear cut choice going into November. You know, do you want democracy and do you want freedoms 
Uh, and do you want to try, to try to sort of bring Americans together and have unity, or do you want more corruption and, and chaos and more division, more hatred, and and sort of the will of the American people being thrown out? Um, I, you know, I, I have faith in the American people that if that's the choice, the vast majority of the American people are going to choose democracy and freedom and not nationalism and authoritarianism. I do too. Um, so that that is a hopeful note uh, for our listeners. There's some fingies crossed on the Zoom as well. <laughs> so we're all f- crossing our fingers, but more than that, we're going to get out there and, and make sure we're delivering these messages to voters and knocking on doors and making phone calls and, and reaching out because that's the important work we have to do. And one last thing, if I could say, yeah. is really I, I have hope in women. Mm. Um, and I know I'm a, I know I'm a man, but I've sat in folks groups enough and listened to, um, women and men enough to understand that, that, that we're going to be a better country when, 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 when there's more women in office and running things. And a lot of this male toxic bullshit mm-hmm. is curved. And I think we're going to see the year of the ticked off woman. And women are going to take this country by storm. And I think democracy is going to be safer because of it. They fucked around. They're about to find out. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, um, Cornell, you're truly one of our favorites, one of my personal favorites. It's such a pleasure to to reconnect with you. And thanks so much for joining us today. I I appreciate being on. I I love the show. It's a great show. I love how informative it, it, it is. So thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us today. This is how we win. We win when we all get involved. We want to hear from you. Send us an email at hello at howwewinpod.com or tweet to us at bluesboysteve and at howwewinpod. Please make sure you do subscribe, rate, and review on Apple or wherever you get your pods. Share us with your friends and family and make sure you share our How We Win fun too. There is always work to do, so we will be back with some more next Wednesday.